Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen. I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of Genesis and chapter 37. I'm going to begin reading in a passage of scripture or read a few scriptures here that are very common or at least from a common story. And I want to just preach to you from my heart this morning and ask God to just touch us. He's a precious God. Amen. He's loved us through many, many things. Any, all of us individually can say the Lord has sure loved us through some. He's loved us through some, some very difficult times. Amen. He's no different today. Genesis chapter 37 and verse number 31. Kind of going in a little bit deep into the story of Joseph. The Bible says that they, talking about Joseph's brothers, they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he, the father, he knew it. And he said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast had devoured him. And Joseph is rent without doubt, is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob, the father, the Bible says, rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. Amen. What a diabolical plan. Amen. What a diabolical plan. They had not killed their brother. They had not killed Jacob's son. They were lying. They were lying. Amen. It was an illusion. It was something to distract the father from the main purpose. And today, with the help of the Lord, I want to speak about that. I want to preach to you today from this subject, the great illusion. The great illusion. Amen. God bless you. And you can be seated. I believe that without a doubt, I'm confident I'm not alone, that Satan himself is the master illusionist. Uh, illusionist in and of themselves, major in the art of optical illusion. We may know it by many different things, the hand being quicker than the eye. But in truth, behind all of the trickery is the ability to divert somebody's attention, even if it's just split seconds, to divert somebody's attention away from what's really happening, what's really going on. And I'm not talking about black magic and witchery and sorcery and things of that nature. So if you just kind of relax, if that's where you think I'm going, you can get back on the interstate. That's not the exit we're taking. 
I have several friends, or a few friends at least, that are are a very skilled illusionist, and um, they know just how uh, to trick someone. We had a few years ago one of our meetings we hosted right here at our church a ministers meeting. Brother Jason Barnum is a is a master illusionist, and uh, brother brother Arnold, brother Jeff Arnold. My wife and I were with Brother and Sister Arnold in a Perkins restaurant one night, and we got to the table, and somebody had left. This was many, many years ago, and somebody had left several quarters as a tip, I guess, for the waitress prior to the, the previous guest. And so when we came up to the table, Brother Arnold just reached in faster than lightning, and he got those quarters. And I'm not sure what went through the waitress's mind that he was just going to rob or steal and he just started in on switching those quarters up, and he entertained the troops there for quite a while. <laughs> and uh, he kind of had to step outside of his shyness to do that, but he <laughs> he did he did manage to press through it. But it was amazing because what it's one thing for you to sit in the audience and you see somebody on a stage doing something, but when you are up close. And you're watching them because I, I knew immediately when he grabbed those quarters where this was going. And so I was watching his hands because I wanted to catch a mistake and I never did catch anything at all. It's just a matter of being distracted for a split second. That's, that's all it takes. They get you distracted so that they can implement some sort of smoke and mirrors. It's not really the truth. It didn't go anywhere. They didn't swallow the quarter. It didn't go in your ear. <laughs> it was just something for a moment, just a split second. Then when you look back at what you thought was real, it changed altogether in just a split second. And do you know that is exactly the ploy, the plan, and the plot pattern of our enemy? Amen. Making something false appear real. He wants you to make, he wants you to think that something is here that's not here. He does this by pulling a real situation, a real truth. Many times the enemy, the devil will take some real truth and he'll, he'll take a falsehood rather and he'll drag it through just enough truth that it makes it all seem real. That is his plan, his plot. Just enough truth to cover up the deception or to cover up the falsehood. That way, that way it confuses and it conflicts the matters at hand. And, and to be honest with, with you, all of us have been there. We've all been right there in situations where, where it looks so real and you come to find out the enemy was just messing with your mind. He was just messing with and trying to actually play out his job description, a thief to kill, steal, and destroy the Bible talks about Satan as he first appears in the book of Genesis. The Bible refers to him as a serpent. That's how we're introduced to him in Genesis. And then by the time we scroll through the Old Testament and well into the New Testament and we get into the writings of Simon Peter, Peter refers to him as a roaring lion. But if you continue to read the word of God, it doesn't end with him being a serpent and it doesn't end with him being a roaring lion. By the time you get to the end of the Bible, there is a reference to him being a dragon. 
And so we continue to see this thing morph as it goes and we're somewhat perplexed by this process and we wonder how could this happen? And I believe we can find the answer to the how in the book of Lamentations. I know that's one of your favorite books. That's why I wanted to go there today. Lamentations chapter one, verse number nine. The Bible says her filthiness is in her skirts and she remembereth not her last end. Therefore she came down wonderfully she had no comforter. Oh Lord, behold my affliction. And here's the line. For the enemy hath magnified himself. And so how did a serpent become pictured as a roaring lion? And then how did he go from as a roaring lion to the likeness of a dragon by the time we get to the end of the scripture? The Bible says, because the enemy hath magnified himself. It's something important, I think, that we should note when we're talking about magnifying something. When you magnify something, you don't make something bigger than it really is. Amen, it's always the same size. It didn't change size. It didn't change strength. It didn't change shape. In truth, it means to cause to appear greater or seem more important than it is or the word exaggerate. I mean, that's the bottom line. It's to call something to appear to be larger, appear to be greater, to appear to be more important or to exaggerate a situation. And so I think what we must understand as Holy Ghost filled, water baptized children of God is that Satan has no real power over God's church. He has no real power. That's why... That's why we are singing songs that are that their derivative is in the word of God. And that's why that we are obeying the word of the Lord today, even in the course of this service. We are laying hands on the sick. Amen. We are anointing them with oil. You know why? Because it's not it's not because the situation's not real. It's not because there's not a circumstance that we're faced with. No, no, no. It's because we know that there is no power, that hell has no power over the church church. Amen. He just has the ability to magnify himself and make something seem larger than it really is. But I believe that by the Holy Ghost and the authority of that vested and entrusted power that we ought to rise and we ought to stand on our feet and say, Lord, amen, we're not going to bow at the altar of the great illusion. Amen. I'm going to say, Lord, somehow help me to move back the magnifying glass and let me see this as it really is and see this for what it really is. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You see, the from the beginning of time and, and, and still to this day, the main weapon of the enemy's arsenal is the spirit of deception. Satan deals in fear, you know. Amen. That's why we need to understand that the Bible talks about that we're not given to uh, that we're not given to the uh, spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Thank you. Amen. And the, and the important thing is to understand is that fear is not an emotion, but fear is a spirit. It is a spiritual battle. I'm not talking about being afraid of spiders or I'm not talking about being afraid of certain things. I'm talking about real fear, genuine fear. Amen. He's not given us the, that spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. And so Satan deals in fear. In fact, that's his only weapon. And since he has no real power over the child of God, he's got to magnify himself. He's got to make himself a little larger to appear to be a little bit more than he is. Paul, in the, the 
writing to the church of Colossians, in Colossians 2 and 15, he said in heaven's full principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. In Paul, the same writer to the church in Rome, 6 and 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are under the law, not under the law, but under grace. I like to pray the prayer of David. I like to ask God to order my steps in his word and let not dominion have any rule or reign over me. Hallelujah. Amen. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin can affect all of our lives, but it don't have to have dominion over us because we're not under the law, but we're under grace. And when something seems large and looming in our path, what we need is that spiritual authority of the Holy Ghost to come move the magnifying glass, to come move that that seems so large and overwhelming, that thing that seems to be casting such a shadow. The word dominion means to exercise lordship over or have control over. In Matthew 6 and 13, we read a portion of the Lord's Prayer. One portion of this prayer says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Lead me not down that path, Lord, but deliver me from the evil. We live in a very evil world, but we don't have to be evil. We live in a very devious world, but we don't have to be devious because we can say, Lead me not down that path, Lord. Hallelujah you let your spirit lead me and guide me as you as you will amen if we serve the lord then we have dominion and we have power over sin the bible says in luke 10 and 19 behold i give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you that's a powerful passage of scripture some big words there nothing satan has no power over us the only thing, the only power Satan has over us is the power we grant him. The only, the only room in your life he is allowed into is the one you give him the key, the one I give him the key of. He has no authority. I have to surrender if he does anything. He has no way to hurt or to destroy at least. Amen. So I, I he, but his goal is, hear me, to get us to destroy ourselves. But I say, Lord, I'm not going to fall for this great illusion. I want you to help me keep my eyes focused on you. Help me to keep my mind focused on your word. Amen. I know it's been quoted until it seems like it's worn out, but I promise you it's as sharp as it's ever been. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so when the spirit of anxiety comes, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn to the word of God. When the spirit begins to try to overwhelm me, I want to play some gospel music. I'm not being silly here today. Amen. You know why? Because we're turning on the light and light pushes back darkness. Praise God. I'm not going to fall for this illusion. I'm not going to fall for the trick. I'm going to sing the word of God. I'm going to quote the word of God. I'm going to say the word of God. Amen. You may think I'm out of my mind this morning, but I've not lost my mind at all. I may have to walk around the house and just open this book and read this word. Why? Because I'm not going to fall for the illusion. I'm not going to fall. You're just trying to magnify yourself against me. You're trying to magnify yourself against the calling on my life. You're trying to magnify yourself against what God is trying to do. Amen. So I am just going to opt to turn on the light. I'm just going to turn on the light. 
Amen. He's, his goal is to try to take something that's not real and convince us that it is real. And by doing so, he calls us to move and act upon some false assumption. If Satan can cause you to believe a lie, he don't have to destroy you. You'll destroy yourself. I don't, he don't have to destroy me. I will destroy myself if I believe a lie and give up on hopes and give up on dreams and give up on visions. And that's exactly what happened to Jacob in our text. I know the story of Jacob and, and Joseph and the coat of many colors is, I mean, it, the story is so well, it's so, it's so well uh, read and, and studied till almost the corners of the story are rounded. We've been here so many times. But I'm going to tell you there's such a powerful truth here. Joseph's brothers had thrown him in a pit, sold him into slavery. Essentially, they were ridding themselves of this problem of this favored young child. But one problem remained. What are we, we going to tell dad? I mean, we've got to go home at some point. We've got to go home. So the real perplexing question is, is how are we going to go home without him? And so their plan was detailed. They, they killed a goat and they dipped their brother's distinctive coat into the blood of this animal. They brought it back. And, and, and really, really and truly, they didn't have to concoct a story. Here's, here's a coat we found. Do you know if this, you recognize this coat? And, he's, and, and, and he filled in the blank. Are you with me now? They didn't come with a bullet point list. They just come with the right question. Do you know if this is Joseph's coat? And he said, it is my son's coat. And under the spell of the illusion, he drew a conclusion. An evil beast has devoured him. And Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. Don't you know those brothers are looking at one another? They're thinking, we didn't have to say a word. This went better than we could have ever hoped. I mean, we just presented it, and Dad, he just filled in all the blank. The power of illusion. The enemies of Jacob, which were his own sons, by the way, came, presented false evidence, and Jacob made his own assumptions, false assumptions, but to him, they were real. This is my coat. This is my son's coat. This is blood that's on my son's coat. The evidence, no matter how compelling, it was incorrect. It was wrong. It was false evidence that had been submitted. And I will tell you today, sadly, thankfully, it doesn't happen often in our court system. I have great confidence in our court system. But sadly, we do know that from time to time, false evidence is submitted in the court. And there have been and there probably are right now men and women that are falsely accused that are sitting behind bars somewhere. And I pray that somewhere the truth will triumph in those situations. But somebody brought some false evidence and it caused a jury to take a certain path. It caused them to their minds to go because they can only consider the evidence that's before them. Amen. So this false assumption, but that false assumption was very real, but the evidence was incorrect. But it was real enough for Jacob to just go right along with it. He rent his clothes and he mourned. 
Amen. But if somebody could gotten to Jacob, if somebody could have just pierced into that meeting, if somebody could have just kicked the door open, they could have said, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. This is not what it looks like. I know, I know you got a missing son and I know you've got a coat in your hand that's torn and I know there's red fresh blood that's dripping down on the floor but I want you to understand this is not what it looks like. Hallelujah. In truth they could have further stated amen that your promise is not dead. Amen. It's a matter of fact your promise is in the process of being fulfilled. I wish the Holy Ghost would just step into this house today and tell us that this that you're holding in your hand and this that we're faced with right now. Amen. And there are circumstances all across this building and to those who are joining us online. I just with the help of the Holy Ghost want to tell you today that regardless of what you're holding in your hand and regardless of what the enemy is trying to convince you of, amen, your promise is not dead. It's in the process of being fulfilled. I know you invited somebody to church and they're not here today. I know you invited someone and they didn't come, but I'm gonna tell you, it's not dead. Your promise is not dead. Your hope is not dead. It's in, if you could only know Jacob, if you could only see Jacob, you would realize that it's in the process of being fulfilled. Amen. God is not in the business of making false promises. Amen. You can't see it, Jacob, because you have been knocked over with an illusion. But Joseph is alive and well. He is as alive now as he has ever been. Amen. God has him in process. So if we're not careful, I know that only one or two of us here have ever jumped to a conclusion. <laughs> but buddy, I sure have. And you hear one side of a story, sometimes not even realizing you're only hearing one side of the story, and you've got the envelope licked and sealed. It's done. And then the next news, you know, you hear something else. Another little nugget that went with that. And you go, whoa, whoa, wait, wait. Wait. There's more to this than meets the eye. Amen. So I, I tell you, I don't want to allow the enemy to cause me to jump to conclusions. I got to stand on the promise that God has given that it's not over. Because Satan's goal is to make us to believe a lie and be damned. Jesus called Peter out of the boat to walk on the water with him. And as long as he kept his eyes on the Lord, everything was all right. But something distracted him. We're pretty sure we know what that something is. Maybe the wind, the waves. Could have been the criticism of those in the boat. Where are you going? You've lost your mind. Could have been the voices of those around him. It could have been the physical elements. Whatever it was, something took his focus off the Lord for just a moment. And that moment he began to sink but you see, if you're going to walk on the water, you can't watch the wind. And if you're going to walk on the water, if you're going to move into some new realm of the Spirit, you can't listen to the critics. You can't. Elisha was in, was in Dothan one day, and the king of Syria <clears throat> tracked him down and was going to kill him. However, Elisha was sound asleep. But Elisha's servant was biting his fingernails off to the first knuckle. Man, you, you got I can't believe you're asleep. You know what's going on around us? 
2 Kings 6, 15, And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host of compassed the city, both the horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Here is Elisha's servant that is just scrambling in fear because true panic has, has set in. And then in verse 15, or verse 16 rather, he answered and said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed, and the Lord said, I pray thee, Lord, open his eyes. He didn't say, I pray thee, Lord, come to our help. I pray thee, Lord, come to our rescue. I pray, Lord, send a host, an army of angels. He said, no, just open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots. They weren't on their way, Brother Williams. They were there. Amen. They weren't coming. They weren't just saying, hang on, we'll be there in a little while. No, sir, they were there. But this servant was under the illusion that, that here are all these enemies, and God has deserted us, and he's left us all alone. Here we stand, and God is without, and there is no answer in Elisha just prayed a simple prayer open his eyes I wonder if we could pray that prayer today and say Lord open my eyes and help me to see what the enemy is up to amen what you're seeing really is an optical illusion that's what Elijah was trying to say the enemy has distracted you some slide of hand but if you look closer amen you're going to see the real truth and the real truth is is there's a host of people there's a host of angels there's a host of an army they're all around us they're all about us Amen. This, this is not what it looks like. That's, that's the story. This is not what it looks like. David came to the valley of Elon. Amen. To bring food to his brothers. By the, time, by the time David arrives on the scene, Goliath is stepping out in the valley. He's been breathing threatenings against the Israelites, God's people. For 40 days, Saul and his mighty warriors would focus on on the size of the Philistine army and these giants in particular. And they would never get past or beyond that booming voice. They could never bring themselves to truly believe the promises of God. The Lord said, I will deliver thee. <laughs> but the evidence of God's deliverance seemed so swallowed up in the shadow of this giant that's standing there. God says, I'm going to deliver you. But boy, it sure didn't seem like deliverance was in the air. The Israelite army, fighting, warring men, were hiding behind rocks and behind trees. Amen. Their wellspring of hope and focus and courage and faith it had all dried up. But then along comes this young man that was just too full of the Spirit of God to bow himself to the problem. Amen. I think it's worth noting that David never one time referred to Goliath as a giant. <laughs> he referred to him as a lot of things. You uncircumcised Philistine. He called him a lot of things. But he never referred to him as what the other men referred to him as. Saul and his army and David were all looking at the same problem. Saul's gaze stopped on Goliath but but David said, I'm going to look a little higher. Amen, I'm going to look a little higher. said, Saul, you can stop looking at the problem if you want to, but I'm going to look to the problem solver. 
Amen. So at the bottom of his feet, Saul's eyes went all the way to the top of his head. But when David looked at him, he started at the bottom of his feet. But when he got to the top of his head, he kept looking because he realized this is an optical illusion. Amen. I'm going to lift up mine eyes to the hills from which cometh my help. With you is just the arm of flesh. With you is just the arm of, of, of power and strength in the flesh. But with me is the power of Almighty God. Amen. He, what he was really trying to say is Saul you're not looking high enough. Amen. To all of his brothers, to all the men, you're not looking high enough. You're just looking to his head. You're looking to his helmet. You're looking to the top of his spear. We gotta look a little higher. I wanna preach to somebody today to say you're not looking high enough. Why don't you just look a little higher? Hallelujah. If your prayers have not been answered, don't stop praying. Amen. If the word of God has not come in an illuminating light in your heart, don't close the Bible and put it away. Amen. Look a little higher and let the spirit of God say Lord draw me to the hills from which cometh my help praise God that's where we're looking to the hills from which cometh our help amen amen I'm going to ask our musicians to come if they will praise the Lord it is the job of the enemy to get us to focus on our problems amen it is so easy to talk about problems. So easy to focus on problems. Amen. Until sometimes we just get overrun, overwhelmed, focusing on the things that really don't matter, the things that really don't bring hope. Amen. We can focus on the facts or we can focus on the God of the facts. I mean, maybe there's not enough money in the bank or maybe there is, there is a lack of spiritual hunger in, the, in your family right now or maybe some of your children. Maybe there is sickness that we're dealing with. I'm not here to minimize any of the above. And maybe it does seem that all hope is gone. And that's how the enemy would love to leave you every night. And that's the note he would like to tuck you in with. To just set that magnifying glass above all those situations and let them be much larger than they are. And I realize that we are facing, I don't know of anybody, to be honest with you, who's not facing something in their life. And I know that the evidence appears to be real. And in this climate of discouragement and and even depression and the lack of faith, those things can start weighing in on who we are as a person. And because of that, we just think, you know, maybe enough's enough. But I'm praying that the Lord could just open our eyes today and help us to not give in to the trickery and the tools of the master illusionist. To just make it look like this and to make it seem like that. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm praying for the Lord to open our eyes in the spirit today. Amen. Because really and truly, um, there is a lingering question. There really is a lingering question when we face certain plights and circumstances of our life. And that lingering question is this. Whose report are we going to believe? Whose report are we going to believe? 
You see, the devil's report says this, it says that. And just like with Jacob, the devil will let you fill out your own check. Those brothers didn't have to say a word. In just a moment of time, this father filled in all the blanks, drew his own conclusion, rent his clothes. This is an illusion, Jacob. This is not real, Jacob. Amen. Who could have known the beauty of what God, if you know the story of Jacob, you know where I am today. And Who could have known the beauty of what God was doing right then? While he's home mourning and moaning and tearing his clothes. Amen. Joseph was on his way. We understand the hills and the valleys and the twists and turns that came with his own journey. But God was on his way. I mean, Jacob was on his way to, to being a redeemer himself. He was not just going to save himself. He was going to save a nation. There's something larger going on here. And so I beg of you today, don't, don't let the enemy just prop up a magnifying glass on something. Amen. God may be working something so much greater than our minds can comprehend. Amen. The devil's report says you're this, you're that, the other. David said, I've been young and now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. <laughs> Amen. I've, I've been here and I've been there, but there's one thing I've never been able to, to experience, and that is God has always been a provider. He's always been exactly what we need. Amen. Amen. Why don't we magnify the Lord together in this song? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.